Oh, Brother Tish does a great job in the sound booth. I'm just kidding. Matthew 6. Now tonight I'm going to be speaking on the subject, casting. Casting. Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. But today I want to speak on the subject, staying focused. In other words, uh, make, making sure that things are in the right place in your life. So, Matthew 6, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the, is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body is full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And God bless you. you may be seated. There's a, probably a year's worth of preaching right in those few scriptures. <clears throat> Praise God. We're going into our camp season. And our young people will be leaving tonight. Or tomorrow I think it is. Tomorrow. And taking a bus up to senior camp. Of course, Sister Grant and I will be going up there. We were up there this week already. A lot of work going on. And then next week we have our family camp. That starts next Sunday night. We have our family camp. Then I will be back here on Sunday. And then I'll leave out on Sunday evening late to go to Mississippi. And I'll be at the Mississippi camp for a week. Now... You know, sometimes you can get so involved in doing the work of the Lord that you fail to stay in focus with God himself. I have talked to several people about Bible school. Recently I have. And I've, I've, I've mentioned this to, uh, to them, that Bible school, while you are involved in studying the word of the Lord... Bible school is a good, we should use the word good, place to backslide. I mean, a lot of Bible school students actually lose out with God while they are in Bible school because they, they don't keep the balance that they need. Now, there is a scripture found in Exodus 19.21, and if you will turn back to Exodus 19, I want to read this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people. In other words, go down, admonish the people. Reprimand them. Exhort them. Lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. Now basically what that scripture is saying is that Israel came out of Egypt. They were in Egyptian bondage for 435 years. And once they came out, God wanted them to keep in clear view uh, himself and his commandments. And Moses was not in the presence of the people for a while because he was in the presence of God. And the Lord told Moses, now what I want you to do is go back to the people to bring the people into a greater uh, focus because if you don't do that they will have a tendency to look to the right or to the left and if they look to the right or left they will begin to lose focus of what uh, uh, should be 
their top priority. When we use the word focus, we simply mean making adjustments to bring an object into clear and sharp definition. Basically, it's rearranging light rays and such so that so that you can fully understand what you are uh, viewing. Now, most people, biologically uh, speaking, they have one of their eyes that 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 controls. I've done this in in one a message one other time when I was speaking on a little bit different subject, but. Uh, you you have one eye that basically controls the other eye, and that eye also de- controls the body. Now we know the brain does, but but the, the the eye seems to be the it's the window of the soul, the window of the subconscious mind, and we have uh, been able through uh, dealing with some parents to determine. Uh, relative to some of the children in the Christian school, whether they were actually writing with the correct hand. You know, sometimes your, your, your child, you, you observe your little tot, and you try to determine, is it going to be right-handed or left-handed? Or is she going to be right-handed or left-handed? So, oh, I think he's going to be right-handed because he picks up things with his right hand or left-handed. Then all of a sudden they'll change back and to the other hand, and you get a little bit confused. And we will have some children occasionally that uh, their parents will say that they're writing already, and but I, I just don't really know. And so there's a little test that uh, I remember taking way, way back when I was in, in, in grade school. And it's just simply a, a test to determine which eye actually controls. Now, you've seen me do this in, in a message, but you take a piece of paper. Now, these are my notes, so... I won't take that because if I tear a hole in it, I may leave out part of my message, see. But you can simply take a little piece of paper. Now, if you have a piece of paper, you can do this. There's another way that you can do it. I'll show you. But take this piece of paper and fold it. And you just simply tear a little hole in it like this so that the hole ends up in the middle of the paper. Now, that was pretty simple to do. And you just simply hold this out. Now, what I'm going to do, because there is a beautiful, beautiful lady right at the end of the aisle, uh, and you can turn around and see who that beautiful lady is, my lovely wife, who just turned hmm, years old. We've been married 35 years old, and she's 39. So, but I, I put this piece of paper up so I can I can see her, and whenever I move this and keep things in focus, in view, it always ends up over one eye. Now, if I try to cross this to the other eye, I, I lose focus. And you, you know, you can do that by just holding your hand up, making a little bitty, little bitty hole like this. You can look at the preacher now. You've got to make it a little bit bigger for me. But and, and you hold it out and you can see now. Just open both eyes where you can see through that and just bring it back. A piece of paper works real good because you can't see around it. And you just and, and it just ends up over one eye. Now that simply means then that this eye, my right eye, is in control. And when that is uh, is true, then for the most part, everybody that has the right eye in control will be right-handed. So you just simply take and strike out right, right-handed. Now, <clears throat> sometimes children are breaking arm or something. Don't use it, and they can they can switch over and they can do pretty good. But it doesn't really come come natural. Now. What Jesus is basically saying is that that uh, your eye controls things, but you have a spiritual eye too. You know, uh, it, it is called in the Bible faith. James says we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. And this is what he says. He says if we walk by sight, we stumble. 
But if we walk by faith, we don't stumble. Now, the reason why is because, you see, you can't see through. Uh, you can't see through walls, can you? Or most of you can't. <clears throat> you can't see around corners, can you? No, you can't. There are many, many things that obstruct and, and you can't see. So when you're walking by faith, though, you can see around corners. Did you know that? Because faith is looking at things that you can't see with your natural eye. Now, I brought Sister Grant's binoculars. I gave Sister Grant these binoculars on Christmas about probably seven or eight years ago. And uh, I'm looking at Brother Perry Hicks back there. Did you shave this morning, Perry? <laughs> I'm just joking. Shh, don't anybody look at him. Just me. Now let me look. There's somebody in the crowd I wanted to point out, and I'm trying to find him, Brother Chris S. Wine. Good to have Chris with us. I saw Chris from up here. I don't need the binoculars to see him. He's tall. Now, have you ever had a preacher look at you? <laughs> Tony Shepard's hair is getting too long. <laughs> so is Chris Bowie's. <laughs> I was just joking. I can't find it. <laughs> <Nah>. <clears throat> but, you know, the, the remarkable thing is that this has a left eye focus also. You know how to use that, don't you? You've used binoculars. I bought Sister Grant these binoculars for Christmas, and I could tell when she opened them up that uh, she was disappointed. So, uh, I, uh, you know, she looked at binoculars. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I figured it's curious. <laughs> no, I, I figured it. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. I shouldn't have said that, should I? My wife likes to watch birds, seriously. And she's very, very curious every bird that comes in. And she, you know, she looks, what is that? She, gets, she has books. She opens these books. She looks at these books. And she marks in the books the birds that she spots. And so, and this book's all marked up. Like on Felon Road in 1974, I saw this bird. And, you know, she goes right down. We saw in the field near our house the other day a bald eagle. Can you believe that? Something was killed in the field. I'm not for sure what it was, but this bald eagle was was on the, on this carcass. And uh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful sight. I saw one last August. I went out. It was a hot August day. sat on the porch. And uh, we always had the binoculars handy. Oh, by the way, since buying these, Sister Grant said, this is the best gift that she's ever received. It's a nice pair of binoculars. But uh, I was sitting on the porch, and I saw this huge, I thought it was a turkey vulture. It was that big. Now, down in Texas, we have a lot of turkey vultures, and I, I think some are in Wisconsin, but not too many. And this thing just came right down near our bird feeder. And birds just scattered everywhere. And <clears throat> then it went down soaring out over the valley. And it came back. And I, it was a bald eagle. I told Sister Grant, I said, I cannot believe that Lake Kigansa at McFarland has a bald eagle. But uh, sure enough, beautiful, beautiful bird. The thing soared way out of sight and never one time moved its wings. Just gliding. Well, I put the binoculars on him. It was just, it was great to, to, to watch him soar the way he was soaring. Now, there are times in which uh, it, is, it is so necessary to just take and focus in on things. You know, if I pick these up, if I pick these up, whoop, I'm going to tear up something here. And I, I, I look in the back, and I focus in on Perry, and then I look all the way down to, to Brother Andrew Cohn and Brother Dave Sunwall. They're out of focus. Now, I can tell who they are, 
and Brother James Hawk. It's getting clear as I go back. John Brunker is a little clearer. Mike Sandon is almost clear. Perry Hicks is very clear. And what you have to do in life, you have to make adjustments. Because of the location in which you, spiritually speaking, in which you are serving God. Now, I don't think that people should travel a long ways off from God. But I do know this, that, you know, in your consecration to him, your consecration may soar upward, and you may be praying, and you may be seeking God, and you may be a hold of God, but all of a sudden something can come and uh, just distract you. And, and you will feel, maybe within 24 hours, after having a real encounter with God, you can feel that, that God's a long ways off. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe, maybe some trial. I, I was privileged going to, to Sister Showalter's home yesterday, Sister Grant and I, and Sister Showalter's had some problem where the doctor has not been able to determine what, what it is. But, but she has a lot of pain in her body. She sits and cries a lot. It's almost like she's had a nervous breakdown. But uh, they were going to take her to the hospital last evening. And she told me, she said, you know, I've always had a good relationship with God. But right now, she said, I, I'm just depending on the prayers of others, I guess. She said, I, I'm having a hard time because I feel that I'm being distracted well, I know what that's like because I went from January until just a week or so ago just not feeling good. All of a sudden, I just started feeling real good. People were praying, seeking God. I was praying, seeking God. I prayed and sought God for people that had been healed. But for some reason, I did not receive my healing. started out as a sinus infection. And then I, got, uh, I just got sick. That's the way it is. And I stayed sick. I stayed in bed and, and you know, I, I did everything the doctor was telling me and I just felt so distracted. Now, the district bought for Sister Grant and I uh, and gave it to us at camp a, a few years ago uh, a video camera. It's got automatic focus on it. Now, I like automatic focus. I like cameras with automatic focus. You know, you can just put it up and it just focus in on, on whatever you're looking at. Now, I like the automatic focus on the camera, but I did find out when Brother Bridges was doing some taping that it doesn't always work quite the way you think. Because he set it up in the back, way back by where Brother Martin and Brother Hicks are back there. And we had a Sunday school convention going. And, of course, he just put it on automatic focus. The only thing is that every time someone would lift their hand in front of it, and we lift our hands a lot in church, guess what it would do? It would focus on the hand. And every time a parent would get up to go out with a child, guess what it would do? It would refocus. So the thing's just back and forth all the time. And when it's focused on the parent and the child, guess what happens? The speaker then is not in clear and sharp definition. And this seems to be the way life is. There are a lot of distractions. And while you are doing your best to stay focused on God, it's like some circumstance or situation just jumps in front of you and says, Ah, here I am, focus on me. Takes a super Christian. I'm in a super Christian, you know, super Christian. You know. <clears throat> To stay focused on God when when there are all those distractions in front of you. I mean, you know, things can just be going so good and all of a sudden you're sick and all of a sudden the car breaks down and uh, the dog eats its way out of the kennel, you know, and the baby gets sick, you know, and, and a lot of things can go wrong. It's just life, you know. Someone not too long ago asked me, said, how come all the bad things always happen to me? I said, they don't just happen to you. You're just the one that cries about it all the time. 
There are just some people who don't go around talking about it all the time. But there's a whole lot of things that can happen in life. Isn't that true? A lot of things. A lot of things that can happen in life. So we're sometimes like, like the video camera. When things jump between us and God, we just refocus. And we focus in on those things that are closest to us because those are the things that distract us the most. So here we are, you know, refocusing on things. And the reason why that, that church is such, a, such an asset is because in services like this, we kind of redefine things. We refocus. And I, I just got to tell you that church plays such an important role. Richard Exley wrote a book, and he, ta- he titled this The Rhythm of Life. And I think it's, it's such a, uh, a beautiful, beautiful book. It's, it's scriptural, but he talks about the four functions of life. Number one, he said, we must consider work. The man that won't work won't eat. And that's what the Bible says. And that just simply means that that everybody needs to work. And contentment, for the most part, comes as a result of uh, just feeling good about completing things. I know I talked with someone not long ago, and they they were just discontent. I said, let me ask you this. Do you have goals? Not too many. Do you have uh, uh, projects you're working on? Yes. But you don't have any goal, no? I said, the thing about it is, if you have no goals and you're working on projects, but you don't know when you're supposed to finish it, then, you know, contentment can come. This is just one aspect of contentment. Contentment can come as a result of of accomplishment, the completion of a goal. I got my work done. I'm content. I bought a plaque for Carolyn, my secretary, and put it in her office. This is not true of her. She's a workaholic, but the plaque says it's hard to do nothing because you really never know when you're finished. (coughs) And, and you know, there are a lot of people that that are discontent simply because uh, they have not set any goals. And... and, uh, it's just not going to come to them. So work is a very, very important function of life. The other is play. Uh, you need some time in which you just have hobbies and, and you know, you just play. See, I, uh, I take off on Tuesdays. And when I take, I, I try not to come into church. Now, I will answer phone calls, but I, 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 I basically will, will not... Uh, do anything on Tuesdays unless it is of what I call emergency. Now, some things can be urgent but not emergencies. You follow what I'm saying? So I try not to do anything. And and basically on Monday night, Sister Grant and I go to bed when we want to go to bed. We get up when we want to get up. And, and we don't consider it anybody's business. So, I mean, if you ask me, what do you do on Tuesday, I could say, well, it's really none of your business. You know? <laughs> I, I, don't, I mean, I don't look at it like that. But basically what I'm saying is that, that we kind of live and let live on Tuesdays. You know, we want to sit out on the porch and drink lemonade. Brother Cisco was, was with me. Brother, Brother Cisco has been, he'd been on the road. This was about a year ago. And he said, Brother Grant, I am so tired. Uh, and I said, well, Tuesday's my day off. He said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. What would you like to do? He said, I don't want to do a thing. And you know what we did? But Cisco and I, we sat out on the front porch, and with my pellet gun, we shot starlings. Now, I like birds, but starlings are dirty birds, and they chase all the other birds off. So uh, <clears throat> I just, the starlings, you know. See, those other birds came out of heaven, but starlings, I'm not convinced that they came out of heaven. I have a problem. 
I mean, they, really, they'll just invade and they'll run all the other birds off. And, and, and the bird boxes, they'll just, they'll just take over the nest and everything. So I feel that Tuesday is a good time for me to really help the Lord out. You know, so we sit out there. Brother Cisco said, Brother Grant, I have never had so much fun. We didn't do a thing, did we? No. But we, we just played. You know, if you'd come out there and saw Brother Cisco and I sipping iced tea, no shoes on, with, with pellet guns, watching over Sister Grant's bird feeder. Like, like the angels see, watching over a person. That's all we did. But that's all we did. So play is a very, very important function. I know one of our preachers that I thought was suffering from burnout, and I, I recently talked with him. He told me he's a very outstanding preacher, a good preacher, and I talked with him. I said, you know, you need to, you need to take some time off. And he said, I can't. There's just too many lost souls. I said, but you burn yourself out, and you don't even care to reach those lost souls. That's what happens with burnout guns. It's like the, the mind just, you know, it, it's like a torn-up transmission in a car. You, you can just put the RPMs of the engine, you rev it up, you can do anything you want to, but when you put it in gear, she just sits there. Won't do a thing. And, and I, I, I get real concerned about people who get second and third jobs and such. You need some time in which you just play. Now, I like, I like time. I prayed this morning real early, just a little bit after daylight, on the front porch of my house. I just went out on the front porch, and I sat there. The sun was shining in. I talked to God, and I just had a great time. I mean, a real good time. Now, see, I'm not saying... That when you take time off that you drop God. And some people do that, you know. You know, but you, you still stay in focus. But, but it, the, the whole plan, the rhythm of life is designed to keep a man in focus. And then, listen to this. Okay? Talking about play. And, and then there is worship. We need a time in which we worship God. And I like to see people in one mind and one accord. I noticed when Sister Wittenbach was singing that beautiful song. And Sue, that was a lovely song. You did a great job. But uh, I saw people with their hands lifted. They were seeking God, worshiping God. What were they doing? They were readjusting. They were bringing into clear and sharp definition God himself. They were focusing in. And, and how important that is. And, of course, there's more to church than worship. Uh, one thing is preaching of the Word. And for us to come in here and sit down and hear someone explain a simple little scripture like this. I say simple scripture. It sounds so simple, but isn't that the way it is with most of the commandments of God? They sound simple, but the application of them. We can get the principle down, but to make application, you know, which how do I apply this principle to my life? And to hear the Word of God and to hear things explained, it just brings things into focus, into sharp and clear definition. Then the other is, is rest. Now, there's a difference between play and rest. Now, let me explain. We have leaf day here at church, and the, the men play uh, football, and they play. We have a church picnic, and they play. Recently, our men went up and had this paintball game. It was play. But some of them came back in sad shape. <laughs> I mean... Brother Hollis was our evangelist. He came back and said, Brother Grant, you got some wild men in your church. He said, in fact, your son Roy is the wildest guy I have ever seen in my life. They teamed up against a group of men, and the group of men that they teamed up against just quit. They didn't want to play. So we're not going to play them anymore. We 
can't, can't handle those guys from Calvary Gospel Church. Well, <clears throat> you can understand why. You, get, you, know, you can get tired playing like that. Little children play. They play to the point that, that sometimes they can't rest because their little, their little muscles are just twitching all night and their, their joints are aching. Now, I'm going to throw something into your theology right now that will just totally blast you out of the saddle. Did you know the original Sabbath was not a day of worship? Look at the Old Testament. It was a day of rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then God tells them how to keep it holy. And basically, the restrictions concerning keeping the Sabbath holy had to do with not doing anything but resting. You may say, that's a waste of time. Well, see, in America, we're geared that way. But we have to understand that the American lifestyle diametrically opposes the lifestyle of Scripture. Now, God, the Bible is the manual of life. In other words, this book is a manual that tells you how to be happy and how to live because it's the manual of life. It has no bearing on God himself. What do you mean by that? Well, God doesn't need the Bible to instruct him. But you need it to guide you in his ways. So basically, when we follow scripture, we're happy. We think sometimes if we sin, God sits up in heaven just, oh my, they've disappointed me. No, when you sin, you suffer. You're the sad one. So, so we need some, some rest time. But in America, our primary objective is to get ahead. I remember talking to a man who was talking about, I just want to get ahead in life. And I said, man, I mean, you've got two jobs and your wife has a job. You've got three jobs. And, and let me just throw something in right here, okay? I believe the reason why that... that Economy is such a big issue in America. And we're always wanting to create jobs. We've got to create jobs. See? It's because there never has been a society that could, have, could offer to a household two or three jobs. And you can't stack it up. You can't stack up an economy. That will be thriving and growing and can afford two or three jobs to every household. Why? Because it opposes life. It opposes scripture. Now you didn't know I was going to get into all this, did you? I didn't either. That's not in my notes. I could have torn a little hole in my notes, I guess, because... But, but really, when you think about it, is, is the most important thing in life getting ahead? And, and let me just say this, okay? You go by this house. I mean, this is just a this house is just gorgeous, you know. It's got a swimming pool in the back, and it's got a camper, and it's got boat and motor. It's got a nice car, two or three cars, and everything. We're trying to get ahead. Well, I mean, how much are you putting in savings? Well, we don't, you know, we. None. This is what I, I questioned a brother who was trying to get ahead with so many jobs. Every time he got a penny or so, he went out and spent it. I said, getting ahead, I said, you're just keeping up. I mean, to get ahead, I would assume that that statement means that, that somehow you, you get ahead and you, you're, you're putting money away. Well, that's not what I had in mind. I said, well, then you're not getting ahead. In other words, you just want more toys... The best thing in life, the best thing in life, the best things, maybe I should say, in life are not things. To spend time with your children, to spend time as a family, to do things, to fellowship with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. And then we wonder why we have so many emotional problems and why there's so much depression and 
and, uh, and such. They're just pressure, 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 pressure. And, and the old, the old uh, cliche, you know, get ahead of the Joneses. And if we have any Joneses here, there's no reflection on you. But if you are a Jones, there's a lot of people trying to get ahead of you. <clears throat> you <know. laughs> but but that's, that's, that's the way we are in America. Because to us, life, success, is, is, is measured by, you know, how nice of a home, how nice of a car, how nice we dress. I was really thrilled when I talked last evening with a brother in our church that's suffering. And I know he's suffering. His business has not gone well. But he was offered a good job. And this is what the brother told me. He said, Brother Grant, I was offered a good job, but it was Saturday and Sunday. And he said, I have the bus route on Saturday. I go out, I go out every Saturday. And he said, I could, I could use. I really could. But Brother Andrew Cohn turned down the job and told the people, I cannot sacrifice my ministry and worship in the house of God for this job. Now, this is what Andrew told me. He said, Brother Grant, you know, you, you could tell he was, he was suffering a little bit, maybe I should say mentally. You know, you make some decisions. You know are right, but it affects you. You choked up. He said, really, I'd rather just build myself a little tar paper shack and put it next next to the church if if that would be possible and stay there and be in the house of God. David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents among the wicked. Basically what he said was to have access to God's house and God's plan for life is my top priority. Praise God. Now, the Pharisees were people who were extremely focused, but they were focused on the wrong thing. Now, let me just explain something that I think that is extremely important. I, I think, you know... There's a lot of labels being placed on people, politically speaking, today. You know, this this, this group's considered to be conservative. These are considered to be liberal. Uh, These are moderate. You know, you hear a lot about that. And a lot of these talk shows, uh, you know, in which uh, uh, people are being attacked. Uh, I don't want to get into all that. But, but basically, the Pharisees were people who were extremely focused. But they were actually focused on the wrong thing. Now, maybe I shouldn't say focused on the wrong thing. They, they were not focused on enough of the right thing. And, and, and see, this, this is very, very important. Let's say, see, God said... I have exalted my word above my name. Now, we are believers in the name. We baptize in Jesus' name. You know that? Why? Because the Bible says so. And uh, one preacher challenged me not too long ago. I said, well, we won't make an issue of it. Just come and show me where somebody was baptized some other way, and I'll just do that. So we'll make it very simple. But on the other hand, if I can show you where people are baptized in Jesus' name and no other way, would you start baptizing? We'll just make it that simple. He said that was too simple. At any rate, while we do believe in the name, the name identifies something bigger than just the name itself. You follow what I'm saying? And so... The word is the sum total. It's the clear definition of God. It's the sharp definition of God. And the name represents a fraction of the whole. 
And this is something that's extremely important for us to remember. Because we need some balance in our life. And you know, balance is one of the hardest things in the world to achieve. Somebody asked me, what's the hardest thing in the world to do? It's live up to your own preaching. You know, boy, you can just pick them up and lay them down when it comes to giving advice to other people. Do you know that? I can stand behind this pulpit. I can actually take the Bible and preach it with such force that all of you'd wonder when you walked out of this place if anybody was going to be saved. How could you do that? Just by focusing in on just a few scriptures. A few. And we do need to focus in on a few today, but a few tomorrow and different ones. In other words, we can't just take one or two scriptures and say, this is going to be my text for life. Because there's more to life than just the one scripture or maybe the other scripture. And the problem with the Pharisees is that they they were what we call uh, radicals. Okay? And the reason why that they, maybe a, a better name would be a legalist. Now, I know that if you live right in this present world, there are going to be some people that call you legalist. Now, I've been called everything from a radical to a legalist to a holy roller to some ungodly things. See? But that doesn't bother me. Or when it's happening, it does. But I get over it quick. And the reason why is because I think I know where I'm going in life. And I think I know what it takes for John Grant to be saved. Now, I have to work on that. But I think I know. But you see, the Pharisees, while they were legalists, what happened was they took things that appealed to their nature. And they began to promote those things. Basically, a legalist is a person who loves God's law more than the God of the law. Now, in the days of Jesus, we have not only the Pharisees, but we have the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't hardly believe in anything. But they said that they love God. So, we have the legalist, and then we have the liberalist. The liberalist were the Sadducees that said, we love God, but that's it. Don't believe in a resurrection, angels, and all that stuff. You know that? So you see the opposite poles of the two. Now, when Jesus came upon the scene in, in Matthew 7, pardon me, Matthew 23, Jesus pronounced seven woes upon the Pharisees. And basically the reason why they did this is because of the imbalance they had. He said, you folks strain at gnats and swallow camels. Can, can you believe that they were that far off base? Jesus said, these things you ought to have done not to leave the other undone. In other words, this is important. So they were extremely focused on certain things, but not the right things. So whenever I talk about focus, I'm talking about clearly determining what is right and what is wrong and staying focused on that. There may be some distractions. Maybe some somebody will jump up in front of you. And maybe all of a sudden you, you just refocus. You, you just kind of lose what's going around you. Now, every now and then, while I'm preaching, I, I am distracted. But uh, for the most part, you know, I have people come and say, did, did, did that baby bother you, or did my child bother you tonight? I got up three times. I said, I never even knew you got up. Now, I've learned to kind of turn, not turn the crowd off, but turn off distractions. Simply because that, that I have a message. And I must convey that message. I prayed, I sought God. I know that this is what we need to talk about today. 
So, we have to look beyond all of these distractions. We have to continue to see and know what is right and stay focused on that. It only it stands to reason to me that, you know, if, if, if a Christian can determine that God is number one in his life, and he should be, shouldn't he? For we should love the Lord with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Let, let me just show you something here. If you'll turn to Matthew 22, you know, in the original text, in the Greek text, uh, there were no scriptures from the standpoint of, it was all scripture, but it was not canonized the way that we have it today. So there were not numbers placed on scriptures, and neither were there chapters placed. So uh, this is the reason why you don't hear the writers of the scripture making reference to, like Matthew 22, verse 37. Well, let's start reading verse uh, 35. And then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Rotates around. Everything is connected to. Loving God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then, of course, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, and, of course, he goes and asks about David, and he asks about David's Lord. And then he goes into the Pharisees and pronounces seven woes upon them because of their imbalance. Basically, they love God's law more than they love God. Now, I think I have found a place in the New Testament in which there is a pretty close parallel to this. And that would be in Revelation 3, uh, Revelation 2, pardon me. Revelation 2, uh, John writes letters to the Asian churches. He starts out by writing a letter to Ephesus. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. How thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, verse 4, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Now, basically, here's a statement that you might want to challenge. And In fact, I challenged myself when I first thought of this. I actually did. It is possible to hate sin and not love God. Now, you may challenge that. And maybe on the periphery. The statement does not appear to be correct. In other words, what you can do, you can get so ingrained in just doing things right until you become miserably rotten inside. You find a flaw in the operation of Ephesus. It's not there. But the problem is... I mean, they were just following the, 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 the law to the letter. And I know that, that when you find conscientious Christians nowadays, there's always somebody that says, Oh, but the letter killeth, the letter killeth, the letter killeth. But the Spirit bringeth life. That is correct because it's Scripture. But don't take it out of context. You see, they that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, <clears throat> the liberalists, on the other hand, were the Sadducees. And basically, uh, you know, we, we, we have little to compare in, in, in our present society with, with such a group, except that 
we do have a lot of people that go around and say, oh, we just love everybody, and it don't make any difference what you believe, and, you know, just uh, we just preach love and, and, and so forth, and, and uh, we, we just, you know, anything you want to believe, you just believe it, and there's a lot of that mushy stuff going on. I remember not long ago somebody preached about a sinful thing. And they labeled it as a sin because it was in the scripture. But somebody came up to me later and said, well, brother, what about grace? I said, well, what about grace? Doesn't grace cover? Doesn't grace, you know? I said, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, they went on to explain. They said, yeah, but, you know, the commandment may be there, but we live in a grace dispensation. I said, what's that got to do with the commandment? Let me, let me challenge your thinking again. If you can find in the Bible, listen to me. If you can find in the Bible where anything can take away sin except the blood, I'll eat the Bible. <clears throat> you see, grace is not license to sin. Grace See, the, the ultimate goal of grace is to bring about separation from sin and to make one gracious, as God is. So grace enables us in dealing with God so that the blood can take away our sin. But you, you can't just say, well, grace is going to cover it. There's, you're using the wrong definition for grace. Grace in the Bible basically has two meanings. One is unmerited favor, and the other is the divine leading of the heart. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ was baptized unto his death. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism. And then the scripture goes on to tell us, Yield therefore your instruments as instruments unto righteousness. So grace is that Holy Spirit that leads us down a path and if we do commit sin that is pointed out to us so that we can quickly go and receive or have that sin remitted or taken away see that's what what grace does but i i, I think you know isaiah 66 5 there's a chapter i said chapter a verse in the bible it says, hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, and said, let the Lord be glorified. But he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Basically, what he's, the scripture is saying is that there, there are people that just say, oh, we don't worry, just let the Lord be glorified. Don't worry about anything else. We just all come together, and we worship the Lord, and, and we don't worry about sin, and let me tell you something. Where there is holiness, there has to be sin. And it seems strange to me that everybody wants the Holy Ghost and they want an association with the Holy God and they're planning on going to the Holy City but they don't like the word holiness. Isn't that kind of strange? Now the revivalist is a person... It has real good balance. In other words, they love God and they love God's law. John 14, 15. This is explained by Jesus Christ himself. Notice what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now my time is up. And I trust and pray that you understand that from a very, very sincere heart, I try my best to explain this principle to you. 
But listen, stay focused in on God. Because you see, the problem with the Pharisees, they, they were focused more on God's law than they were God. And then the other spectrum, the liberalist, while people say they love God, that you don't, you don't really stay focused in on God any more than the Pharisees could stay focused in on the commandments of God. In other words, there were just certain little commandments that appealed. But you gotta, you got to take it all. So we want all of God applied to all of me, body, soul, and spirit. I'd like for you to stand, if you would. Then I want to call your attention to Hebrews 11. You know, the Bible speaks of Abraham, that he searched for a city whose builder and maker was God. Never did see that city. But with his faith, he saw it. Hebrews 11 the Bible speaks of Abraham by faith Abraham, Hebrews eleven eight. When he was called to go out into a place which he received which he should after receive for inheritance inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with them of the same promise. And he looked for a city which hath foundations, who builder and maker is God. You will not find in the scripture a man outside the Apostle Paul that was that was more focused on his mission in life. I mean, he stayed focused. He knew what God wanted. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child. When she was past age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off. In other words, they really thought on this planet Earth things were going to get better. Didn't, though, did it? No. And what you need to do, you need to take everything around you and you need to recommit to God. Say, Lord, this is all yours. And in doing so, you know, you just refocus in on God. And you need to count your blessings and say, God has given me by far more than some people have been enabled through God to receive. But you want to see the real blessings of God. And you may have to look beyond your houses and beyond your plush lifestyle. I'm not here to criticize any of that. If God has given it to you, it would be wrong for me to criticize that. It's a blessing from God. But don't fall in love with the blessings. Which is greater, Jesus said, the gift or the altar? Which is greater, the the altar or the God of the altar? Basically what he's saying is, stay focused on God. And don't become a servant to your house. And don't become a servant to your lifestyle. Because you can't hold hands with God. And mammon. Where Jesus said you will hate the one. Love the other. Or you will despise the other. Love God. Having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them. And embraced them. And confessed that they were strangers. And pilgrims on the earth. I saw a bumper sticker that intrigued me. Didn't say anything about God, didn't say anything about Christianity. All it said was, I'm just a visitor on this planet Earth. That's all it said. I suspect the people were not aliens. And when I saw it, I said, God, 
let it be that way with me. Well, God's been so good to me. How could I ever neglect a God that's been so kind and so considerate of me? If you're a guest of ours today, please keep in mind you live on God's earth. You drink his water, you eat his food, you breathe his air. You need to submit your life to him. And if you would do so and stay focused on God, you will have a very joyful and happy tenure while you're here. But you see, life is just that place in which we get prepared for what comes after life. So I'm going to ask you to come and pray today. If God's dealing with your heart, why don't you step right out where you are and come submit your life to the Lord. God can fill you with the Holy Ghost today. You can be baptized in Jesus' name. Why don't you come on right now? Our praise singers will sing, and as they sing, step right out and come and stand right here in front of the pulpit. Upon Jesus. Come on right now. Look for in his wonder. That's it. Faith. If there's someone near you that you feel would like to pray, invite them to come and pray. And the things of this world will Oh